What wonderful, wonderful worship. I love it here. Just in case Pastor Danny is looking at the service on his phone, I want to say to him how much I appreciate his allowing me to stand here. Uh, I was and am a professor at Southwestern Seminary, and obviously Pastor Danny was on faculty with me. Something you probably don't know is on the chapel days that Pastor Danny was preaching in chapel, attendance always went up. Louis Giglio, David Platt, Matt Chandler, Francis Chan, not so much. Pastor Danny, we're gonna have a crowd. I'm, I'm serious. We wanted to hear that guy preach. I mean, this is the professor of preaching and you get to have him every single Sunday. I'm really, really thrilled to death for you because I believe in this man, I believe in his message. Now I must say though, this morning in the Hampton Inn, getting ready for this service, I, I have a routine every morning. I do iron my speaker shirt. I don't want it to be wrinkled, but this morning I gave more attention than ever to ironing this part right here because I knew that's where your faces would be focused by habit, you know? And so I, <laughs> y'all have got to show him the video. You have to show him. <laughs> he knows I love him. Got to be here early hour with a whole lot of you. Y'all have treated me so well in the hallways. I honestly believe that if I ask you guys to be a part of a little demonstration, I really think Great Hills would stand up and, and actually try to do what I want you to do. There's too many of you for the space that we have available, so I am gonna ask you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that I invited the entire congregation to stand to their feet and everybody come and fill completely in here at the front. Once again, I think this church would, would try your best to participate. What if, though, in coming to the front, you were trying to follow the instructions, you know, that the preacher gave, where would you stand if you followed the instructions? What if I had said, as you're walking to the front, we want one group to congregate right about here, and this group, by standing here, is going to say, I am on my way toward God. I'm going to figure this out. Somebody is out there. I'm not an atheist. Some, somebody's out there, got up this morning, got myself dressed, thought a church would be a fine place to find answers. I'm here this morning to say, I am on my way toward God. Now, if we actually did the demonstration, and if we actually had a group assembled like that, I think I know this church well enough to know probably about 10 or 15 of you guys would come down here and hug some necks and say, brother, sister, so glad you're here. Love your intellectual honesty. Really hope you find your way toward God. But I think a whole lot of you would say, you know, walking to the front. Well, no, that's not exactly where I would go. Actually, I would follow the instructions and I would stand here. And by standing here, I would be saying, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. Finally, somebody explained, no, about him. Oh, you can have a relationship with him through Christ's death on the cross. I received that as a gift into my heart by faith. No, I'm not on my way toward God. I actually know him, but 
I'm standing here instead of some other places because even though I know Jesus, really the most important person in my life these days would be me. Now by that I mean, you know, Monday through Saturday, just trying to get through the day. I, I probably am pretty preoccupied with my life, my hardships, my crazy kids, my finances, you know, just the normal things that make up the, I, I, I would have to say probably most of the time I'm thinking about issues that relate to me. Now the group that belongs over here, I'm not entirely sure that group would come because the same people that belong here also tend to be humble. It might take one of their friends bringing them to stand over here, but regardless, if we had a group, they would say, I was on my way toward God. Somebody explained how I could come to know Christ and I cannot take credit for a single thing that's happened in my life. It is only the work of God, but somehow by his grace, only by his grace, I would say, the preoccupation of my life is Jesus. Now, now, by that I mean, you know, just trying to get through the week, really what's on my mind is him, his glory, his kingdom. Now, I have the same hardships everybody else. Oh, my goodness, I could tell you my troubles. But you know, even in the midst of my troubles, really what I'm asking myself is, Oh, I wonder how Christ is going to be revealed through this difficulty. Oh, I wonder how he's going to bring his kingdom more on the earth through this challenge. Same thing for my family. I mean, we are literally sitting on the couch and we are saying to each other, boy, this is tough. This is hard. I wonder what Jesus is up to this time. I wonder how he will be glorified while our family goes through this difficulty. So for us, Basically, the preoccupation of our lives is Jesus. Lost, convert, and to use Jesus' favorite name for these people, disciple. Lost, convert, disciple. Now, you and I both know there's research that you can pay no attention to. We know about that. But there is trustworthy research. The good research says, if I spend, you know, 18, 20 years growing up in a family and my mom and dad do not know Jesus, the research says the statistical probability is that I will spend my entire adult life without Jesus. Now, we all know there's exceptions. In fact, several of you this morning are the exception. You grew up in a home no faith, nobody knew Christ, you were gloriously saved at some point in your life. Yes, those people exist, but there's not very many of them. The good research says, if I grow up in the life, in the family that are made up of disciples, not perfect parents, there's no such thing, but generally speaking, if my mom and dad lived their lives where Jesus was kind of the big deal. In other words, he was a topic of conversation in our house. I watched my parents make decisions based on him, his kingdom. If I watch that 18 or 20 years, statistically speaking, I will become an adult who is a disciple of Jesus. Now, let me show you what I mean. Everybody knows about spring break. So, so a 19-year-old out of one of these homes let's say in February, walking through a campus building and he sees a poster, spring break trip, come with us. We're gonna rebuild an orphanage in Haiti in only five days. 
And that college student says, well, heck, that's the trip I'm going to go on. That looks about twice as fun to me as being drunk on a beach for a week. So the kid's only 19, but he's already starting to think like a disciple of Jesus. There are exceptions to this. Mom and dad can be disciples of Christ, and a young adult child can turn tail and live for the devil. Yes, by an act of the will, that can happen, but actually there's not very many of the exceptions. Basically, lost parents make lost young adults. Disciple parents make disciple young adults. Convert parents make young adults who tend to live their lives as if they were lost. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm really talking about lifestyle. If we come down to the church on Sunday morning, and you know, we fit in with everybody else. We've pretty well got the vocabulary down. We just fit in pretty well. Coffee's better than it used to be. You know, we, we do fine at church. But I can tell Monday through Saturday, that's not what really is driving our family. All I hear Monday through Saturday is cheerleading and ball and arts and scholarships and SAT. I, I can just tell there's a lot of other things that seem to be a bigger deal. The dissonance between that Sunday morning profession and what I can tell is really valued in our family, the dissonance between those two things, it kind of fries my wiring so much so that when I go off to the big bad university, I don't have enough faith to hold me. Any campus minister will tell you that when those college students walk on campus, really in only a couple of weeks, they are already starting to behave like the law students. Now, I can't read anyone's mind this morning, of course, but I just wonder if somebody's having a little conversation with me, you know, I wonder if there's anybody that would say, uh, Brother Ross, to use your perfectly ridiculous illustration, I would be in the middle. And you know what? I'm perfectly fine with that. Hey, I am going to be here on Sunday morning. Nobody's going to call me an atheist. And by the way, it's a little easier to sell insurance if you go to somebody's church. I am going to be here on Sunday. <clears throat> but Mr. Ross, there are some other parts of my life that's kind of important too. Uh, I make, I make a de decent living here. Actually, a number of people in the area know me, treat me with respect. And, and Mr. Ross, you wouldn't like this at all. But if my kids turn out just like me, I would be fine with that. Look at me, I am not young. If you want to know the facts, I have been working with teenagers for 50 unbroken years. I have a little bit of life experience watching these kids graduate to see what happens to them. My friend, can I tell you how this is going to turn out? When those kids get out from underneath your direct control, they're going to break your heart in two. And later, later, after they take your grandkids through three messy divorces, you're going to say, this has not turned out the way I was expecting at all. And somebody is saying, I bet that's just preacher talk. 
two recent Sundays after preaching this sermon, two different middle-aged men have found me in the dining hall and in two situations said, my adult children will not even speak to me and they forbid me to speak about my faith to my own grandchildren. And two different men have said, Brother Ross, you keep telling them that because it's the absolute truth. Maybe one of the most important things I will say this entire morning is this. Speaking to parents. The future of your children hinges primarily on the condition of your heart. The future of your children spiritually depends primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. Now, this is a great church. Anybody doubt that? No way. Wonderful children's ministry, magnificent student ministry, far above average, wonderful church. And that does count. I will talk about that later. But mom and dad, this is what you cannot do. You cannot say my part was to choose a great church, and I just hope somebody up at that church house will give my kids whatever they need spiritually. It's not going to happen. For good or ill, the primary spiritual influence comes from mom and dad. In fact, this issue of your heart, this issue of the heart has been a big deal to me lately. I know some people would say I wasted my time, but I, I got at my desk at the seminary and I went from Genesis to Revelation studying every passage that has to do with the heart. It's fascinating when you put them all side by side. I, I would love to just stop the sermon and read you every passage, Genesis to Revelation. If I did, the Methodists would beat us to the restaurant. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So, so let me just give you some high spots. You know these scriptures. Jeremiah 17, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Jeremiah 24, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Matthew 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Luke 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It could not be more clear. Mom and dad, it's not your ex external behavior that's the greatest issue. It is the spiritual condition of your heart. Now, I, I absolutely believe that for some of us here this morning, we have to give some attention to this group that might have assembled over here. We worked on this a lot in the early hour. I do think you can be baptized, member of the church, and parenting kids, and not have a relationship with Christ. We, we hit that pretty hard this morning, so I'm not going to develop that further. But for some of you, I would say there is no peace of making an impact on your kids more important than determining, do I know Christ as my Savior? But I do think for the vast majority of us, we know we have settled that. And the question a lot of you are asking this morning is, am I a convert or am I a disciple? Now that would be an interesting question for any adult group. But this morning, you see how I have ramped up the stakes. Not only is this an issue for my life, but where I stand, convert or disciple has so much to do 
with the future of my children. Now, unfortunately, we do not have a meter we can stick you with that tells you, am I a convert or am I a disciple? So we have to just look at external evidence. You know, I'm a traveling preacher. You don't have to look at me in the future. So maybe you would give me permission to just probe a little bit. Something wakes you up of a morning. Well, some of you wake up automatically, but most of you need a beep or a buzz to wake up. What is, what is your first conscious thought when something wakes you up in the morning? Where's that snooze? Or, or, I want to throw off these covers. I want to go to my favorite place, and I want to worship the King of glory. Which of those two things seems most appealing to you? I'm not talking about saying grace over your post-toasties. That's fine, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an extended time of prayer with your king because you want to. Not a Baptist checklist, not legalism, but just saying at the beginning of the day, I desire to be before the king of kings. Would you say that's typical for you or not so much? When you do pray, whenever that is, when you do pray. You know your prayers really well. I mean, you, you do it all. The, would you say most of your prayer time, the majority of your prayer time, is telling the king how glorious he is? Do you find yourself standing before his throne, declaring his glory, thanking him, adoring him, or would you say the majority of your prayer time is give me prayers? Okay, Jesus, here's everything that's hard in my life. Here's all my stresses and strains. Would you please get down here and make everything peachy? Would you say most of your prayer time is for him, or would you say most of your prayer time is for you? Which of the two would be more true of you? What about the Bible? Most of us are going to have some way to read the Bible at church. You know, it looks kind of bad if you don't. So you, you're probably going to have some way to read the Bible. But on your time, Monday through Saturday, on your time, would you say you are drawn back into the pages of Scripture? Once again, not to check a box, but just because you're so in love with the author of Scripture that you're intrigued with what he might have to say to you on a given day. Is Scripture valuable to you because of your adoration of the author of Scripture? Yes or no? Actually, I could continue asking lots of questions. How about, let's just summarize. Let's just roll, roll this whole issue together. One big overarching question. Do you come to church mostly because you've always had a hunch if you go down to the church, you keep your nose clean, you kind of be religious, you just have always had a hunch your life just turns out better. I'll bet if my wife gets cancer, but I go to church, I'll bet you she'll pop right back. I'll bet you if I get laid off someday, I'll probably get another job. In fact, I'll probably get a raise. I think if you go to church, your kids are going to be better looking. I just have always thought things turn out better for people that are church people. Would you say that is your primary motivation for doing this or would you say my primary motivation for doing this is, this is yet another way that I can glorify the King of glory. This is all for him. Which of those two things would you say would be the overarching thought that motivates you into the Christian life? 
I'm going to say something direct about this group. Maybe you've never thought about this. Did you know this group was never, ever part of the plan of Jesus at all? And you say, Mr. Professor, you're going to have to prove that one to me. Okay, I can. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, here we go. Jesus preaching to the lost. Jesus preaching to the lost. What does he say to lost people? What does he say to lost people? He says, repent, and he says, follow me. He says, be my disciple. Over and over and over, those are the themes. Repent, and either follow me or be my disciple, which means exactly the same thing. He's saying to the lost, come over here and be my disciple. This middle group was never part of the plan. In fact, the only time he refers specifically to this group, you know what he said. He said, this makes me sick at my stomach. That's what he said. Now, this is going to give you cold chills. This is the majority of the American church, and it was never even part of the plan of Jesus. Now, once again, if this was a strict adult service and we were all thinking about God's work in our lives, what I'm saying would be an important issue. But that's not really the focus this morning. The focus is the generation coming behind us. And I'm telling you, we are determining the future of that next generation by what's going on in our hearts spiritually. I said, Brother Ross, this is all a little bit harsh. Did you drive down from Fort Worth just to be mean? I don't think so. In, in fact, let's turn a corner. Let, 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 me, let me say some positive things, just some positive challenges that might give you another way of thinking through this issue right here. Three challenges. You grade schoolers, teenagers, college students, all of you can jump in right here because th this is for everybody. My challenge to all of you is you be awakened to who Christ really is today. You be awakened. You wake up more to who Christ really is today. You say, well, Brother Richard, if we do anything at Great Hills, we talk about Jesus. I'm sure you do. I'm inviting you, though, you individually, to wake up more to who Christ really is today. Today, Jesus is not sitting on the edge of a well talking to a woman. He's not sitting on the edge of another well with children in his lap. He did those things. That's not what he's doing this morning. Do you know what Jesus is doing this morning? We know from Psalm 110 in the first chapter of Hebrews and about a hundred other places, we know where he's sitting and it's not on the edge of a well. 40 days after the resurrection, what's happening to Jesus? 40 days after the resurrection, he's on the Mount of Olives. Are we together? He bids farewell to his followers, and that resurrected body started going up, up, up through the clouds. Now, we tell that at church. What happened to Jesus five minutes after he went through the clouds? Do you know the answer? I know the answer. Five minutes after he went through the clouds, he walked in the front gate of heaven, probably came down some kind of center concourse of heaven, and as he approached his father, his father stood up and said, Son, be enthroned at my right hand, and I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
I will put the scepter of all authority in your hand. From that moment until this morning, Jesus has been reigning on the throne of heaven. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is not a mascot. He is not a mascot. He's not my little friend in my pocket that just helps me out on my hard days. He's the king. I know Great Hills believes in the second coming. I know you do. I know y'all actually believe that there will be a day, probably in our lifetime, we rush out into the yard, we look up, and we literally see Jesus split open the heavens and descend to earth. I know you guys believe that. Okay, here's my question. When you are actually watching Jesus descend to earth, do you think in that moment he's going to be grand and glorious? Do you believe that? I know you do. Watch, watch. Who Jesus will be in his second coming is precisely who he is this morning. That's who I was talking to at the Hampton Inn this morning. I'm such a baby at this. I'm such a baby at it, but I'm trying my best to look across even a hotel room and see an elevated throne with my king sitting there so I can praise him and adore him. That is who he is. My friend, you cannot make this all about you when you are enraptured with the king. I'm inviting you, I'm encouraging you to just be awakened more to who Christ really is today. Second, closely, closely related, be transparent about your awakening to Christ with your kids. Be transparent. Now, some of you need to translate this. Single adults, translate it. Who else do you want to be important to spiritually? Just translate it. But for the parents, what I'm saying to you is, if, if Jesus is doing something new in your heart, if he is giving you a more complete version and vision of who he is, and you're worshiping him more in his greatness, be transparent about it. Men, let, let me just say something to, to, to the men. I think by temperament, I think DNA, whatever you want to call it, I think we are a little bit more reserved than the ladies. I think the ladies tend to be a little bit more just out there with whatever's going on inside of them. I think we men tend to be a little bit more reserved. No harm, no foul. Unless, unless we are so reserved, the kids can't really even tell what's going on in our hearts. D Dad, let me show you what I'm talking about. Dad, let's say you, you're falling more in love with Jesus. You're having a better time with him. You've started getting up a little bit earlier. You're in your barca lounger. You might, maybe the family's asleep. I don't know. But, but you're up because you want to be. And you're having some good conversation with Jesus. And you're reading the Bible because you want to. And so you're just going at it. And you're reading some scripture. And you go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Man, man that's good stuff. That is good stuff right there. I like. Okay, what do you do about that? Well, you take your Bible to breakfast, and finally your high school daughter wakes up, and she walks in, and you say, sweetie, come here, come here, come here, come here. Lean on my shoulder. Come here. I was having great worship this morning. I was reading my Bible. I found a verse. This is, come here, sweet. This is good. Okay. I've been a youth minister most of my life. I believe in Sunday morning Bible study with all of my heart. I want us to do it as well as we can possibly do it. But you know what else I believe? I think that girl leaning over her dad's shoulder, reading that scripture, I think that's worth about 20 
Sunday school lessons. You know why I believe that? Because that man's the most important man in her life. And she just got a little reminder. My dad's up in worship every morning and his eyes sparkle when he reads God's word. When that, when that girl is 37 years of age, the way she's raising her kids, her life up at her church, everything about her is going to be shaped by moments just like that. Be transparent about your faith in front of your children. Third and finally, partner with your church to see your kids look like Jesus. Partner with your church. Now, I said at the outset, Mom and dad, you send out your dry cleaning, and that's fine. And if you don't play soccer very well, you're thrilled that a coach is teaching your child to do something you don't know how to do. That is all good. But you cannot outsource spiritual life. You can't do it. That has to be you. But it sure makes sense, even though you're in first position, it sure makes sense to say, but I so appreciate my church helping me and supporting me and equipping me and putting what I need in my hands. I love my church assisting me in being spiritually important to my kids. Did, did you know grasping all of this stuff can cause you to change how you listen to announcements? Did you know that? You're, you're just falling more in love with Jesus. You're worshiping him more. You're more alive in him. And then somebody throws up a slide or something. Oh, we're doing this for families. It's going to be great. Everybody's good. And you're looking at that slide and you're saying, okay, that goes in my phone. But you know, six months, I never, six months ago, I never paid any attention to stuff like that. That wasn't important to me at all. But now it is. You know why? Because now anything my church is doing that's going to help me as a parent, anything that the church is going to do that's going to help me wake up my kids spiritually, I'm all over that. Not only does it change how you listen to announcements, it even changes decisions you make at home. Dad, if I could, Dad, if I could have your attention one more time. J just listen to this, Dad. Coach, I appreciate you more than I can say. Coach, I've watched you. You've taken an interest in my son, and I'm just, I'm telling you man to man how much I appreciate that. You've stayed late with him. You've opened some doors for him. Coach, I appreciate you. And I think I, I, think I understand what you're trying to tell me. You're, what you're trying to tell me is these days the scouts are a lot more likely to see a traveling team than a school team. And by giving my son the last spot on that traveling team, I know you're trying to do us a favor. But, but coach, you're telling me that this particular league is going to have the, the, the guys out six straight Sunday mornings. Coach, not only am I trying to build a blue chipper, I'm also trying to build a young man with a heart for God. I, I can't really accomplish that, missing that much church. Coach, coach I got to say no this time, but you and I will watch for other opportunities to, to really give my son a boost. Okay. Anybody think that would be easy to say? No. Our kids' accomplishments, their activities are thrilling. They're exciting. And I'm made exactly the same way. I'm a father too. But here's the deal. In every case, you've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. That's the deal. You keep the main thing, the main thing. And you know when the payoff comes? Maybe 15 years from now where your kids are all grown and they have their own families and they finally come and sit around your big Thanksgiving table and during that Thanksgiving meal, this now grown son turns to you, dad, and says, hey, dad, you made some calls when I was in high school that I probably wasn't crazy about. 
But from my perspective now, looking at my family, how active we are at church, just looking at things now, Dad, I give you a lot of the credit because you kept the main thing, the main thing. I told the early group it took us 16 years to, to have a living child. So he's kind of a big deal in my life. Only, only child. Um, my son is not a missionary. He's not a preacher. He's just sort of a normal guy. But his habit has been, if somebody's getting up a group to fly to another country to tell people about Jesus, he's pretty much going to jump on the, on the plane. For some reason, he has a special affinity for going to those places where they tend to cut your head off if you talk about Jesus, if you know what I mean. Well, that makes dad a little bit nervous. So far, he's come home every time. Now, now my, my son is sick right now, but if he gets well, I know the first thing he'll do if he gets well, he'll just jump on another plane and go somewhere. Now, now perish the thought, perish the thought. But what if on the next trip, my son comes home in a box? Pastor Danny just mentions on a Sunday morning, some of you heard this week, we had a, a real loss in the Middle East, professor's son. And you just have a crazy thought. I mean, this is crazy. But you just say, you know, I, I've got business up in DFW. I, I, I'm going to go up there and take care of my business, but I'm going to go to that funeral. And so you come to Wedgwood Baptist Church and sit on the back row I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if they put me on the second row and you're looking at me, I'm going to, ahead, I'm going to be crying like a schoolgirl. I'm just telling you. Because I love my son. We are close. When he comes on our campus, he'll walk halfway across campus to give me a bear hug. We are close. So if I'm not going to see him again on this earth, I'm going to be pretty, uh, pretty sad about that. But after the service, if you catch me out in the circular driveway right before I get in the big black car, you might say, Brother Ross, I can't explain this. Uh, you, you preached at Great Hills. Actually, I, I didn't even meet you. But for some reason, I don't know, I just felt a, I felt a connection with you. Pastor mentioned you're lost. I had business. Well, here, here I am. Brother Ross, can I just ask you a, a, one question? H how do you really feel now, now that you will never have a grandchild in your lap? H how do you feel now that Christmas Eve, you will hand your wife one present, she'll hand you one present, you both will go to bed, and that's how it's going to be the rest of your life. How do you feel about the fact that eventually you will die in hospice alone, no one by your side? I, I, to be honest, I don't know how I would answer you. But I can sure tell you how I would want to answer you. What I hope I will say is, it is well with my soul. Do you know why I would want to say that? Because Clayton Allen Ross is on planet Earth for the glory of God. That's what he's doing down here. So if in this particular case, the king is glorified by a young man that is faithful to a calling, goes to a dangerous place and shares the gospel, if that is the will of the king, and that was the whole point that Clayton is on earth anyway, why would a dad say anything other than it is well with my soul? Now here is the major point. 
This service has nothing to do with Richard Ross and his son Clayton. This service has everything to do with the children, the teenagers of this congregation. They all are on the earth for the glory of God. Therefore, get this, there is no part of parenting that is more important than parenting in a specific way where these kids are most likely to grow up and fulfill the whole reason they were on earth in the first place. Would you just bow your heads? Just bow your heads. Musicians, come. We're coming to a moment of, of commitment. Y'all are smart people. S some of you are so intelligent, you absolutely know what the deal is at this moment. You know right in front of me is a fork in the road. You know that. It's clear to you now. And you're thinking, I'm going to take one of two forks probably in the next seven or eight minutes. One fork is I stay the course. I keep doing what I've been doing. We keep championing our kids in a lot of different ways. I just stay with what I'm doing. And just hope and pray that that tall guy is not telling me the truth about how that's going to end up. Or the other fork is, I make a pretty remarkable turning this morning. You bet I'm gonna give these kids a boost in life any way I can, but the criteria always is going to be, am I parenting, am I making a decision, am I doing that which in this instance draws attention to King Jesus, am I parenting in such a way at this moment where he is paramount? It's a fork in the road. Clear as anything. Now, I know some of you would want to come and speak with a pastor about some spiritual decision this morning. I, I'm thrilled about that. But I think there's a host of you that don't need to speak to a pastor this morning. I think what you probably want to do is just to come down here and kneel and pray and just say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Of course, I love you. You know how important you are to me. But I just feel a need this morning to just rededicate myself again to saying, I want to be the most important spiritual leader in the lives of my kids. God bless this church, but I want to be number one in their lives. I want them to see that in me, Christ is supreme. If you happen to be married, be a sweet thing to come down hand in hand, but single parents, come on. Single parents, you know Jesus will kneel beside you. He always does. Grandparents, I know some of your minds have turned to grandkids, maybe even making an impact on adult children. Grandparents, your knees don't kneel, mine don't. So I'm just gonna say that this front row, front pew up here is part of the prayer altar. If you wanna come and just sit and pray for your kids or your grandkids, you just come and pray for them and go back to your seat. Sometimes moving, sometimes doing something concrete helps make decisions more real to us. And I just wonder for some of you moms and dads especially, would this be a morning of just nailing down at our house, I want Christ to be supreme. Lord Jesus, I pray you would be the center of all attention in these moments. I pray that great glory would come to you. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? Would you just stand? Would you sing? Would you come if the Spirit calls you to come?